Hello, I'm Jason Ball, news director at KTLA 5 News in Los Angeles, and this is the news director's office. Producer Bobby, we have a big experiment going today. Yeah, t- you can tell, tell me about it. So we're doing our first uh, video. We're, we're conferencing uh, our friend in from New York uh, via Zoom video conference. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit of a hectic morning here already. <laughs> Figured it out. So uh, let's get our guest on. It's our uh, from our sister station, WPIX, PIX11 in New York, uh, reporter Christian Benavides. Welcome, Christian. Hi, guys. Uh, good to be with you. You just got back from an amazing shoot in in Central America. Um, you know, tell us about that. So we got back uh, on Saturday, but pretty much what we did is we went to three different countries, four different cities. We started in Honduras first in the capital. Then we went to San Pedro Sula, which is pretty much one of the uh, most dangerous cities in Central America, the most dangerous one in Honduras. Mm. Then we moved on to Guatemala, to uh, El Salvador. And after that, uh, Guatemala City. So you were there with, you were there with Catholic charities and you're really kind of looking at the root issues dealing with the immigration issue currently, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we're seeing these uh, migrant caravans, right. uh, Coming to our Southern border. So a lot of people were wondering, well, why what's happening? We hear about the violence. We hear about why people are fleeing. But I think unless you see it for yourself, it's so difficult to understand why you would leave your hometown, why you would leave everything you know behind uh, for a foreign land where you might not even speak the language. So it, it was interesting that, you know, I watched your first report and, and you said that in January and February, there were 529 murders in Honduras. Honduras is a small country. That's a lot anywhere, but yeah. you know, Honduras is a small country. So that's why they're yeah. leaving. I, yeah, so the, the population of Honduras is about the same size as New York City. Can't remember the exact amount. I think it's uh, it hovers between 8.5, 9.5, which is about, you know, same population size here. So you imagine if we had about 500 murders here in New York City alone. In two in months. just two months. Yeah. So and that's, that's for people in L.A. That's the there are 10 million people in L.A. County. Yeah. So think about L.A. County. Yeah, if you had LA 500 County. and some odd murders in just two months. Mm-hmm. So this is, these are gang related murders or what's driving yeah. all this? The vast majority of it uh, is, is gang related. So what happens is that gangs uh, pick a neighborhood um, strategically and they go into the neighborhood. They tell residents, Hey, listen, you have 24 hours to leave or we'll kill you. And some people say, you know what, this is my home. I spent my life savings on my home. This is where I have grown up. I'm not leaving. So what happens is when gangs show up, they kill the family that's there. Um, So that's what happens with families. A lot of the deaths are also rival gang members. There's two gang members, two gangs rather, as you guys know, MS-13 and 18th Street um, that are there in Central America. And there's a lot of uh, killing between each other, you know, in order to join the gang, you have to kill someone uh, for MS-13. So, and then you have retaliation from whoever it is that the MS-13 gang member killed from 18th Street. And it's just an ongoing feud between the two of them. And in between that, 
of course, there are a lot of innocent lives that are lost. I'll give you one example. We, um, there are a lot of corner stores inside these neighborhoods and a lot of those families get to stay in the neighborhood because the uh, gang members that take over want a store to buy food and supplies and whatever. Uh, the stores have to pay a, a ransom or a, not a ransom. They have, they, it's extortion, mm-hmm. right? They pay taxes. They pay a fee in order to be in that neighborhood. At one point. To the gang they, members. To the gang yeah. members. At one point, the 18th street gang had split up into two different factions and both factions wanted the same amount of taxes that the family was paying. So the family out of nowhere started having to pay double and they didn't have enough to do this. So one of the gang members shows up for one of the two factions, uh, one of the two groups, and they say, listen, we don't have the money. So they took their youngest daughter, uh, they mm. kidnapped her in the middle of the day, uh, the following day. They took her to an abandoned home, kept her there for three days. The family still didn't have the money to pay that tax. Um, so when the gang members decided to kill this young girl, they called the mother of, uh, they called her mother and had her on speaker as they were killing her. And the mother said that she heard her daughter's uh, last moments alive. So these gangs are absolutely ruthless. (laughs) There is no regard for human life and they can kill you over a cell phone. And they have no problem doing that. Yeah. And what's the kind of law enforcement situation or the government interference situation in regards to the gangs and, and you know, these heinous crimes that they're committing? Depends. In Honduras, it's gotten a little better, but a lot of the officers are very young. Mm-hmm. A lot of them under 25, uh, under 30. And um, it, it, it's, it's tough because what they earn as police officers is not enough for them to live in a nice neighborhood. There are few neighborhoods that are very nice and gated. They don't have enough money to live there. So oftentimes they live in communities that are taken over by gangs. So you can imagine going home, being told by a gang, you have 24 hours to leave Mm -hmm. and then having to report to your shift as a police officer. It causes a lot of corruption Mm -hmm. and, uh, there is very little incentive for law enforcement to solve crimes because the gang members, as soon as you arrest one of them, they will find your family, they will find the people you love, and they will threaten them or kill them if you put them in jail. So what do you do? There's not a lot of protection for police officers, and uh, especially in El Salvador. It's gotten a little better in Honduras. They doubled the pay of um, of their police officers, something like that. It's I think it's about $450 now uh, a month that they earn. So it's better in Honduras, but in El Salvador, 10 police officers have been killed so far this year by gangs. And in the past two years, about 80 police officers have been killed. And they don't get killed while they're in uniform. Um, the gang members will hide outside of the police stations and they'll follow the police officer once he has his uniform off and they'll kill him as uh, he is about to board a bus or as he's about to get home. Maybe they'll follow him for a week to gather some intel and to threaten him. If you're lucky, they'll just threaten you and 
by threatening you, you will stop arresting them. So, you know, it's a vicious cycle and there's really, it's very difficult for, for police officers, for law enforcement. I think that's for most Americans, it's just hard to even comprehend a life like that and, and you know, what that's even like. Yeah. So we talked to uh, one other person. Uh, he was deported from L.A. He had lived in L.A. for about 35 years, uh, deported back to El Salvador, moved into, uh, you know, his community. He has absolutely nobody there, but he went to like his childhood home. Right. Uh, or his childhood neighborhood and got a house there. When he got there, somebody had broken into his home. So naturally, like us who live in the United States, when somebody breaks into your home, what do you do? You call the police. So he called the police. And when the police showed up, they told him, you know, you can't call us, right? He's like, what do you mean? You know, they stole my passport, my wedding ring, all my money. They were like, you can't call us because they'll get you killed. And he's like, well, you know, I need to report this. What if they, you know, commit a crime or whatever? So they file the report. They leave. Not 15 minutes later, uh, he hears a knock at the door. He says, oh, it's probably the police. They forgot something. Instead, there's gang members there. They're there with a nine millimeter. They beat him up. They ask him, why did you call the police? And he's like, well, somebody robbed my stuff. He's like, you're not supposed to call the police. So they beat him to the point that the gang members believed that he was dead. They wrapped him in a blanket and threw him at a landfill in El Salvador. And he woke up hours later, wrapped in a blanket, got himself out, walked into the middle of the street and was just said, where am I? What's happening? It just so happened, according to him, that on that day, um, the caravan had stopped in El Salvador. It had left from Honduras and stopped in El Salvador. So he joined the caravan um, and he made his way back to, he tried to get to the United States. He couldn't cross the border. So he stayed in Mexico while in Mexico, he was once again attacked by gang members. So he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the consulate here for El Salvador. I'm just going to head back there and I'm going to try to find a life somewhere else. He self-deported to El Salvador. Once he got to El Salvador, he moved to a completely different city. Once he was at his new city, about two months into it, uh, gang members from MS-13 found him again. And they once again beat him to the point where they thought he was dead. He figured out the way that they kept finding him is because the original, the first time that he was robbed, they took his electronics and through social media, they were monitoring where he was going. So they would find him and twice they failed at killing him. But, you know, he, he's now looking for asylum inside of Guatemala. Uh, but that that's what happens. And that's just the reality of life there. So you imagine this is why people are fleeing because they can't have a life in their home country. Right. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Are, are there so, somebody working on solutions? I know you were there with Catholic charities. Are, are there things that they're trying to do with the government or is it the government part of the problem too? The government is part of the problem as well, but there are a lot of nonprofits that get their funding through USAID, 
and you know that also is uh, in limbo now right some of the aid has been already cut off and there's been threats of cutting off even more aid in the future but these local organizations what they do is that they help out they're geared towards helping out the youth and mothers in these neighborhoods and to give them an incentive to stay in their homeland because that's the only thing that's going to stop the migrant crisis right but what's the incentive if they're being you know continually harassed by these gang members right well what these organizations try to do is they try to create safe havens inside of these uh, neighborhoods so we visited uh, two of these organizations and what they do is they have large concrete walls barbed wire and the leaders or the organizers from these nonprofits talk to the local gang members and they reach a deal Right. They say, look, we're going to establish this here in, in the center of the neighborhood. And we want to help your kids. And this is kind of how they started, you know, negotiating with, with gang members. Like, look, we, you guys need a place uh, to give your children a future. And uh, that's sort of the trust that they were able to build with some gang members. Um, we talked to one of the organizers who said, that uh, he had just come from visiting a one of the gang members son who was uh, ill um can't remember what his illness was but he was very ill at the hospital so this organizer went to the hospital brought him food and sat with him and uh, helped him pay his medical bills and through doing that gang members will respect the volunteer and the volunteers set up shop inside the middle of these gang neighborhoods. They offer uh, different ways for them to find work for single mothers. They find childcare for them. And, uh, you know, that's the only thing that really, you know, I guess it's not much of an incentive, but at least it's a safe haven. And if you don't uh, speak English and you've lived there your whole life, at least there's something that you can do while you're there, you know? So when you go on these trips, it's pretty, I mean, you were there on the ground, what, four or five days? We were on the ground for five days. We had a six day that was just travel. Mm -hmm. So that day we didn't do any news gathering, but we did news gathering for five days straight. Yeah. So it's very intense. uh, And then seeing this as an American in it's, it, it can be very emotional. So what was your kind of uh, takeaway as not the reporter, but just kind of as a, as Christian? I mean, it was just like, like, uh, holy shit. These people have nowhere else to go. And it was, what would I do if I was there? And that's, all we kept thinking the whole mm-hmm. time, uh, me and uh, our, our photographer, Ken Pelzar, we just kept thinking, like, you know, what do you do? There is no way out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's it. I mean, it really hits you when you speak to people who are just stuck there. And, you know, they, they, there's really no words to describe what it's like. 
to talk to someone who you know has a likelihood of dying there because they don't want to join a game. So, yeah, I can imagine that's you know it is very intense and just you know, telling the stories. Did you ever feel unsafe? I think there were two instances where we felt unsafe. There was one night in El Salvador or the night that we were in El Salvador, we were supposed to interview a group of former gang members. But um, by the time we, we had traveled earlier that day about uh, three hours to uh, a different part of El Salvador. And by the time we got back to San Salvador, it was dark. And so we did our first interview inside um, a gang neighborhood. So just to, to give you guys an understanding of the difference between El Salvador and Honduras, in Honduras, it was very easy to go in with a police escort and um, going to the gang neighborhoods and nothing will really happen to you. In El Salvador, where there's been 10 police officers that have been killed, we were warned by uh, the fixer that we had there that when you go into these neighborhoods when, with police officers, you're a target. There's no protection. So we went to go interview a pastor in El Salvador and uh, we had to go in with a member of the community. And that was okay. By the time we got out, it was dark. And we had another interview set up with 11 former gang members. And our fixer told us, so listen, to go into this neighborhood, we should buy food as a sign of good faith. Uh, you should bring them dinner. Uh, and we thought that was a little odd. We were like, okay, well, you know, so we go, we buy the food for them. We show up at the entrance of the neighborhood. And we had been waiting for about 10 minutes. And we just got this feeling that we were like, you know what, this is not worth it. We looked around us and the former gang members were running late. And uh, the darker and darker it got and the more we were standing there. Um, I just, I turned, I turned to Kenny and I said, how, how do you feel about this? What do you think we should do? And we made the decision that, you know what? It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, uh, because of the time we would have had to drive through um, a part of the gang neighborhood without someone from the community. And that's, you know, considered to be really dangerous and it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the challenge that we, we all want the story and we want to get the story and we want to you know be able to uncover the truth and all that. But sometimes you have to really take your own safety into consideration too. Cause if something happens to you, then you can't tell a story. Exactly. And we had already gathered so much compelling material down there that at that point it just wasn't worth it. And then the second thing was a similar situation where, um, in Honduras, um, uh, our fixer told us, our fixer there told us, uh, there's a family, but we can't go there with police. And we just decided it wasn't worth it. Uh -huh. So that was it. it our, our consensus was that if we couldn't have uh, some kind of guarantee that we're going to make it out, it's better to just ditch it. And that was it. That's great. So the stories are uh, running on PIX11 in New York all week, and people can find them online at PIX11.com slash triangle. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And if you just Google trapped in triangle, you'll find them there. Trapped in the triangle. That's great. 
Great. Great work. I saw the first piece. So I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them. Yeah. You know, we have something right. else in common here, Christian. What is that? You don't know? No. <laughs> what is it? You interned at my former TV station, WPLG in Miami. Oh. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was a producer and executive producer there in the 90s. No. Yeah. Wait, who was, uh, do you know Monica Morales then? No, no? I, I know Bill Pahovey and Steve Owen and that crowd. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you, know, you know, Steve Owen was my college professor. Oh, yeah, that's probably, yeah. That makes sense. He and yeah, I used to sit, in, we were both uh, producers together and we used to sit next to each other. Really? That's Steve's funny. a great guy. Yeah. So that, that, that station was awesome. I used to um, bug the reporters so I could follow them around in my car and uh, learn about reporting. So that was great. Yeah, it's a great place. It was. I, I learned so much. I was there for you know Johnny Versace murder. I was there for Elian oh, Gonzalez. So yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I miss Miami. Let me tell you, when when it gets to like uh, zero degrees up here and <laughs> yeah, snow out, say. you're in completely <laughs> different climate now. Well, my favorite uh, Miami New York story is I left Miami one day. It was 82 degrees, and I got to New York, and it was 12, oh, and everything oh, no. was covered in ice. <laughs> I can't, I can't, you know, sometimes I walk out and I just think, you know what, there is a great, I'm sure my mom would be so happy to hear, <laughs> listen, I'm going back to South Florida and you know what I miss? I miss Pollo Tropical. I miss the, <laughs> the Cafe Cubanos down there. It's just, it's not, yeah, it's Absolutely. great. You but, grew uh, up in South Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in West Palm Beach. So. Oh, okay. West Palm, that's good. You're 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 from you were born in Ecuador. I was born in Ecuador. And I then, went to West Palm Beach when I was about nine years old. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. But you're when you started reporting, you started reporting on Spanish language, right? Yeah, I started at the Univision affiliate in Tampa. From there, I moved on to Telemundo. I was out in Phoenix, uh, then came here to New York City. I was in D.C. for a little bit during my time with Telemundo, but. Um, mostly in Phoenix, uh, then came here to New York, and then about uh, two, two and a half years into uh, my time here in New York at Telemundo, I just wanted to switch over to English, and now here I am. So how was that transition? That's, you know, I, I don't know if that happens for a lot of – it happens for a few people. I know Elizabeth started in Spanish yeah. language, Elizabeth Espinosa, but was there you know, a challenge in that, or was there an advantage to that? It was really hard. Really? Jason, it was really, really hard when you have, I had, um, I had initially tried, uh, to see if, uh, maybe there was a, an opportunity to switch over. I had done a few things, uh, over at WNBC, uh, while I was at channel 47, as you know, you guys over there have also the, mm-hmm. uh, NBC Telemundo, uh, synergy. So I was, gathering my clips and it really like didn't matter how many clips I had in English because whenever I would have conversations with uh, people in the industry they would say well you know what you should probably go to like Houston or McAllen and then work your way back to New York so they wanted you to start over in English yeah and I was like listen I, I know the New York market like the back of my hand I have my contacts here and I 
the Spanish community here already knows me. You're telling me that I should do, you, you know, start over and work my way all the way back here when I'm already here. And it was so frustrating because for six months, I would look for opportunities and I would get told the same thing over and over again. And um, I think it was finally just like out of a Hail Mary, I emailed the managing editor here and I emailed him my reel. And, you know, sometimes faith is just puts things together for you. And uh, he liked the reel and he emailed me back. And uh, and that was it. That was the end of it. And I left. Um, I mean, you guys will understand this. I left uh, steady staff uh, gig uh, for a freelance position here. And um, I was, you know, I was scared. But, you know, uh, I'm staff here now. And it was the best decision I ever made. It was so risky, but I'm looking back everything came together and i'm here in new york and, you know yeah i hate the cold but uh, <laughs> but i love it here that's awesome <laughs> and uh, that's how it happened yeah that's a great story i'm so, you know proud of you for making that happen and you know and i'm i'm sorry that you had to go through all of that that gives us a whole different perspective on uh on our business too and and the challenges that some people uh face that others don't so thanks for telling us that story sharing it with us yeah you know i would i would like people to know that mm -hmm. because there is a lot of talented people in Spanish language news and as much as uh, people especially in Spanish language news don't like to talk about it there's a huge pay disparity between working mm -hmm. in general market and Spanish language news and um, Spanish language news may have better ratings but the salaries are not the same as in general market and I think it's so important to talk about it and just highlight that because there are a lot of people that you know work in Spanish language news and they're just as talented as people that work in the general market. They work really hard to try to cross over and sometimes it's impossible. So I think that was, that was just my point with that. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for telling us that. That's yeah. you know, good to bring that to light. And uh, that's what we do here. Yeah. Bring up issues. Thank you so much for joining us today. What's the best way for people to follow you and your stories on uh, social? So just, um, C Benavides TV. That's in uh, Twitter uh, and Instagram, and then on Facebook, it's uh, Christian Benavides TV, and that's uh, it's like Christian without an H. Christian without an H. Got it. Yep. Awesome. We'll put links to the <laughs> stuff on on uh, the website. Well, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank uh, your news director Vicky Burns for giving you the time to do it. We love her and all her support always. But so. Uh, Thank you. It's great that people in Tribune Media are telling great stories and, and going above and beyond the call. So congratulations. Good job. Stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> or come That's visit. Awesome, yeah. For sure. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Take thank care. you. Yeah.